Turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and let's stand together uh, for our scripture reading. And I would, I would like to just speak to you today about really the mission of West Coast Baptist College. When the accreditors were here, the TRACS accreditation folks last year, one of the things they asked students, faculty, alumni, administration, what's the mission of West Coast Baptist College? And when we received our accreditation, uh, we received a couple of commendations, and one, and, and they're very hard to get, uh, and one of the commendations, and it, it actually kind of blew them away, was they said, your faculty, your students, everybody knows that your mission is training laborers for the harvest. You know, that's why some students will not come to West Coast Baptist College. Their passion is not necessarily to be a laborer for the harvest. Most of you know that you're in a Bible college that has a very specific mission. Now, it manifests in different ways. It may be education, it may be youth, it may be music, it may be technology, it may be uh, you know, evangelism, pastoring. There's, there's different ways, but everything we're teaching you here is to help you to become a person who reaches people who need Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And I've said to our church for many years, we want to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is soul winning. The main thing is, is helping people to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so we find this philosophy in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37 and 38, and most of you are aware this is the absolute only prayer request Jesus ever shared. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes people come to me and they'll say, I have a prayer request that I'd like to share. And, and normally when that is said, I take out a pen and I write it down or I pray with them right there, but I don't just let it go by because that represents a burden. How many of you understand that? When someone says I have a prayer request, there's a burden behind that, right? And, and so I think I can say as we prepare to read this that we're going to read about the burden of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that many of you can join together as laborers to be the answer to prayer that Jesus shared here. So let's read it, verse 37 and 38. Let's read it out loud, okay? Ready? Begin. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus had one prayer request. Could you be the answer? Could you be the answer to the one prayer request that Jesus had? Labors for the harvest. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we've received the gospel. We thank you for the power and the purity of the gospel. But now, Lord, you've requested laborers. You've given the call. I don't believe you've stopped calling. I believe some have stopped answering. But I believe every person in this room has either surrendered to the call or they're open to the call, or else they would not be at a college that trains laborers for the harvest. And Lord, some are here, maybe a one-year Bible, maybe a this or that. But I pray that every student here would be willing to say, 
with David Livingston, Hudson Taylor, William Carey, and many others, Rick Martin. Lord, if you want me to be buried on a mission field, that's what I'm willing to do. Whatever it takes, Lord, that's what I'm willing to do. Bring us to that place this semester is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I love the fall season. It's my wife's favorite season. How many of you would say it doesn't feel like fall yet? It's 185 degrees outside. <laughs> but we're moving into it. And, and uh, Mrs. Chapel says the same thing to me every last week of August. Sweetheart, would you get the fall decorations out of the shed in the backyard and bring them into the house? I want to decorate the house for fall. And that always requires you know, considerable effort carrying everything in and it's very, very hot outside. But it's very important for her to have orange and brown candles and bales of hay and fall decor. And it's her favorite season, and so it has become my favorite season. I love the fall season. Back on the farm in Colorado, uh, my uncle is on a tractor this morning and bringing in the pinto bean harvest. And that's what's going on in Colorado, southwest Colorado today. It's harvest time. The fall is often thought of as harvest time. And Jesus speaks about the harvest. He says to us, the harvest truly is plenteous. I would submit to you that 8 billion people on this planet represents a plenteous harvest. And I would submit to you that while we sometimes bemoan the fact that in America there are some difficult spots, that there are still millions of people in America who would appreciate knowing more about Jesus Christ, maybe a college student who's an atheist, maybe someone who's confused about their sexual identity, maybe someone that grew up in a church background. It, it's, it doesn't really matter. There are still people in America who need to be born again by the millions of them. And there are places like El Salvador where I visit every few years where if you just bring a baseball glove to the school principal, you can preach to all 500 students. And you could preach to a different high school every single day for a few months and, and give the gospel. You see, it's not that the harvest isn't plenteous. Oh, it's plenteous. It's not that it's so hard to win souls or to be a missionary. Actually, there are places where people are ripe and ready to hear the gospel. It's not that the harvest isn't plenteous. It's that the laborers are few. Statistically, while the world is dying and going to hell, there will be many from this student body who could become misguided and whose lives are not even attached to gospel ministry a few years from now. Many who have attended Christian colleges and in colleges and universities today, and they're studying physical therapy and trying to learn how to you know, twist out someone's dislocated shoulder, and they're studying veterinarianism, and they're studying a million different things, but they're not really laborers in the harvest. Jesus had one prayer request, laborers for the harvest. Notice the portion of the harvest. The Bible says the harvest is plenteous. The harvest is plenteous. Student, let me challenge you this semester that you would see people as someone that needs the Lord. I don't care if it's one of these folks out here at the job fair today, many of whom we've witnessed to and passed tracks to them before, and many of, our, many of them are our friends, and they're coming to the campus 
to be a part of something great, but they need the Lord. The people that you get a job with, the people that you work with, the people on the bus route. You're in California, you're in a mission field, and all of us need to realize that everyone is a candidate for the harvest of the Lord Jesus Christ. The portion is plenteous. The harvest is prepared. Jesus said in John 4 and 35, Say not ye there are four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look unto the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, and that whereupon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye entered into their labors. You see, God wants us to be always interested in the harvest. And I love where Jesus says to us that one day in heaven, the, the one that was sowing the seed and harvesting and the one that was saved are going to rejoice together. How many of you want to come bringing in the sheaves rejoicing when you come to heaven? I was on vacation several years ago and we were, my wife and I, on the island of Kauai and we went to the Anahola Baptist Church. And I don't know how large the community of Anahola is. I think it's maybe 12. I'm not sure. It's just a, a little place on the island of Kauai. And uh, we, we had driven by it on the way to the hotel. I said, that's where we'll go to church on Sunday. And it's one of these buildings where the gets is kind of elevated. And I think back in the day, they had the pigs and chickens underneath. And just an old Hawaiian kind of a building. And it was uh, more of a Hawaiian church, which is why I wanted to go there. It was uh, more, more uh, indigenous as opposed to touristic. And it was one of these churches where, you know, you go in and, and you walk into the foyer and there's this really nice uh, Hawaiian lady, really large Hawaiian lady too, and just had this, had the, the lays on and everything. And she took a lay off and put one on my wife and put one on me. And, and uh, I thought, man, this is a great way to greet visitors, you know. And uh, she said, would you please sign our guest book? When I signed that guest book, the person who had signed it the Sunday before the man and wife that had last signed the guest book were a couple that I had led to Christ more than 35 years ago. And I just stood there and wept and thanked the Lord that he placed me in the ministry. You see, I could have seen a car that I made at GM. Wow, look at that charger. Look at that Pinto. I, I put that together. And there's nothing wrong with faithful men who work at GM or Ford and who support missions and who pray for us. I'm just saying, I'm so thankful that God has allowed me to be a part of bringing in the harvest full time with my life. It's a wonderful thing. The harvest is plenteous. But notice the problem of the harvest. The problem, first of all, is that the time is late. The time is late. And Jesus said, Say ye not that there are four months until the harvest. You see, crops go through three stages. Green, ripe, and rotten. Green, ripe, and rotten. And the harvest is only effective at one stage. And we must reach souls when we can. Jeremiah 8 and 20, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The time is late, and secondly, the harvest is few. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 10 and verse 5, He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. There are too many Baptists sleeping in the harvest. There are too many deacons sleeping in the harvest. Too many pastors who do not go soul winning. Too many Bible colleges and Christian universities that have staffs of two and three and four hundred who not one time this semester will knock on a door and endeavor to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I say this with respect. You ought to thank God that you're in a Bible college where you have professors who actually pass out gospel tracts and go out soul winning and endeavor to bring the harvest in who are modeling and mentoring the matter of soul winning. And we ought to pray together that we would see a great harvest of souls for Jesus this semester. Time is late. The laborers are few. The portion of the harvest, it's plenteous. The problem of the harvest, not enough laborers. Would you notice the prayer for the harvest? Jesus said it. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now Jesus is very clear in this one prayer request. We need laborers. Every day, a phone call will come to my office for an assistant pastor, a pastor. Every day to the administration, a school teacher, a music director. Every day. Churches across the country, the properties, many of them are being sold. I've seen in this city alone a Baptist church purchased and the property developed into a Taco Bell. I've seen another Baptist church in Palmdale purchased and the property turned into a painting shop. I've seen in New England churches that have been turned into bookshops and gift shops. Oh, there's churches that are being planted, but there's far more churches closing than are being planted. The need is greater today than ever. There are populations around the world. I received a letter from one of our graduates this morning, an email over in Ethiopia. Brother Josh Lovegrove, one of the greatest young men that ever came to West Coast Baptist College, a man of soul-winning passion, a man of convictions, a man of prayer. And he went to Ethiopia, just about as far away from here as you could possibly go, a country of 60 million people, mostly, uh, mostly Muslim, a country that's dry and a country that's hot. And the letter was telling me about the ones that were baptized and the ones that were called to preach. And you see, i gotta got to remind you this morning that, that souls in Ethiopia matter to God as much as souls in Kansas matter to God. Well, the harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. God says, if you go, I'll, I'll give the increase. He said, some are going to water, some are going to sow, but God says, I will give the increase. And he promises that if we go and bear the precious seed and have a heart of compassion, that will come back rejoicing. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. You can't keep sowing seed and sowing seed and praying and seeking and asking people to be your guests and asking people to listen to the gospel. You just can't live that lifestyle without bearing fruit. And Jesus said, would you pray? Would you pray for laborers? His one prayer request. Luke chapter 11 and verse 9. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. 
There's a great harvest, students. West Coast Baptist College exists to train laborers for the harvest. Training laborers for the harvest. Let's say that together. Training and someone might say to you, they might say, oh, I tell you, I'm getting a degree. I'm getting a degree in engineering. I'm getting a degree in physical therapy. I'm getting a degree in, uh, in veterinarian work. And I'm going to be repairing uh, ingrown toenails for chihuahuas for the rest of my life. And, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm getting a degree. I'm going to be an aerospace engineer. And, and someone might look to you, some of your peers, and they might say, and, and what are you doing? Why, what are you doing there, West Coast Baptist College? And I just want to encourage you, uh, not in a proudful way, but in a grateful way, to look them right in the eye and say, well, West Coast Baptist College trains laborers for the harvest of Jesus Christ. I'm preparing to help bring in the harvest that Jesus died for. Never be ashamed of that. Don't, don't say, well, you know, I'm just kind of a, kind of a one-year Bible. Uh, but I, you know, I'm kind of doing mostly the computer program there with Brother Sultanic. I learned about computers. Never be ashamed of being involved in the harvest of bringing lost souls and rescuing people out of a real fiery hell where they will suffer forever and ever. You have the privilege of being involved in the highest calling of God, bringing lost souls to Jesus Christ. And yes, there'll be those strutting around, well, I'm this and I'm that and I'm going to get this degree from that place. Don't you ever think you're second best or second place when you're in the center of God's will trying to learn how to help people know that Jesus loves them and died for them and shed his blood so that they could have a home in heaven. I bought a book this summer and uh, it's called The One Year Christian History. And I was so excited uh, to, to see it, I, I love Christian history. And I've been reading one of, one of these uh, pages every day for my devotions in the morning as a part of my devotions. And I just, it just encouraged my heart. It tells a story about Christian history and then has some scriptures. And there were a couple last week. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to read these in chapel. And if you'll allow me this morning... I'm just going to share with you as I close a couple excerpts from my devotions that really bless my heart and really speak to the issue of the harvest. W.A. Criswell heard these words, what a doctor you will make, hundreds of times from his mother while growing up in rural Texas. When Criswell was 10 years old, the Baptist church the family attended, held a Wednesday morning service during its annual revival. Sitting next to his mother, he realized that this would be the day he would accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. Tears streamed down his cheeks as his mother leaned over and asked him, W.A., will you give your heart to Jesus today? Yes, mother, he answered, I will. And when the evangelist invited those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ to come forward, Young Criswell did. By the way, one of the evangelists that was greatly used in his life was a man named John R. Rice. Criswell's mother willingly sacrificed her own life in order to guarantee a good education for her son. Three different times she temporarily left her husband and moved with her son to further his education, first to be closer to his elementary school, then to be sure he graduated from an accredited high school, then to oversee his education at Baylor University. 
Criswell felt called to the ministry. Although his mother was a committed Christian, her lifelong dream was that her son would rise out of poverty by becoming a doctor. She kept hoping that he would outgrow his interest in becoming a preacher. At Baylor, he spent every spare minute evangelizing, making his mother very concerned about his preoccupation with evangelizing. When he received four A's and a B plus his first semester, his mother sternly replied, it isn't, it isn't easy getting into medical school. Every B plus is a mark against us. Criswell and his mother returned home to Amarillo for the summer. Although she realized her dream was slowly dying, she still occasionally brought up the subject of his becoming a doctor. There's plenty of time to choose a pre-med major, and you could preach on the side. A doctor with a gift for preaching, that would be quite a unique gift, W.A. Finally, Criswell replied firmly, I love you, Mother, but God has called me to preach, and I have to answer that. And there will be people in your lives who think training for the harvest is a waste of time. At the end of that first summer at home from Baylor, Criswell was ordained into the Baptist ministry. On August 29, 1928, after being questioned by six Baptist pastors to determine his conversion and his calling to the ministry and that he was well-versed in Baptist doctrine, he was ordained. He eagerly scanned the crowd for his parents, but did not see them. Then the pastors and deacons laid hands on Criswell and prayed for him. As the congregation echoed their last amen, he was relieved to catch a quick glimpse of his parents. His mother was smiling through the tears, and his father was looking pleased and proud, and Criswell was overjoyed. The next morning, W.A. Criswell boarded the train alone for Baylor. His mother had devoted 13 years of her life to her son's education, all with the dream that he would become a doctor. She finally realized that God's call on his life was stronger than his dream, her dream, and it was time for her to step aside. W.A. Criswell graduated from Baylor University, pastored for a while in Oklahoma, and in 1944 accepted the call to be the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, which became the largest church in the world. At the time of his death in 2002, it was a church with 26,000 members. Because of a poor boy from Amarillo, whose parents thought he was wasting his time on the harvest. But God got a hold of his life. And would be to God that some of you would politely step away from those friends and that peer pressure that says, you know, training for the harvest, that's, you know, whatever. And would be to God that some of you would realize there's no greater need that Jesus had but one prayer request. And I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning. I don't know that in this auditorium there is a man who will go to a city in this country and dream and pray and work and love and study and suffer and rejoice and build one of the great works in the last days before Jesus Christ returns. You say, well, I don't know that that will happen here 
Brother Chapel, I mean, if you meet some of my dorm mates, they are nerds to the extreme. I don't think anybody looked at W.A. Criswell and said, on his freshman year, here comes the pastor of the largest church in the world. But God had a call on his life. The year was 1900. It was the boxers versus the Christians. Foreign powers were asserting influence in China, polarizing the Chinese into two warring factions, those in favor of westernization and those opposed to it. A particularly conservative group of Chinese were known as the boxers. They were men and women who did everything in their power to fight westernization. Their goals were to preserve the old pagan religions to keep foreigners out of China. Organized and active throughout all the Chinese provinces, the boxers had a particular stronghold in the Shanxi province where they were able to get one of their own governors appointed. Their movement became known as the Boxer Rebellion. Because of the boxers, no missionary was safe in Shanxi province. The China Inland Mission formed in England, had sent Emily Whitchurch and Edith Cyril from New Zealand to be amongst the single women missionaries in the isolated towns of China. In their town of Hoshai in south-central Shanxi province, they worked to help opium addicts. By the way, there's no new sin in the world today. In the midst of the boxer reign of terror, Miss Cyril wrote to a friend, From the human standpoint, all missionaries in Shanxi province are equally unsaved, uh, unsafe. From the point of view of those whose lives are hid with Christ in God, all are equally safe. His children shall have a place of refuge, and that place is the secret place of the Most High. Two days after the letter was written, a boxer mob stormed the house of these two single women missionaries from New Zealand and from England and brutally killed the women. The local Christians risked their lives to rescue their bodies and burying them properly, covering them with flowers from Miss Serrell's garden. Another group of China Inland missionaries, Willie and Helen Pete, their two daughters, and two single women missionaries were hidden by Chinese Christians in caves for three weeks before being discovered by the boxers. We are in God's hands, Willie Pete wrote. I can say, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Edith Dodson, one of the single women, wrote in her last letter, We know not can come to us without his permission. So we have need, no need to be troubled. It is not my nature to fear physical harm, but I trust if it come, his grace will be all sufficient. They were temporarily spared when a magistrate intervened and ordered that they be delivered to a nearby city. But threatened by a mob, they were forced to flee again to the mountains. While hiding in a cave, Willie Pete wrote his final letter to his mother. The soldiers are on us now, and I have only time to say, Goodbye. We shall soon be with Christ, which is far better for us. We can only now be sorry for you who are left behind and our dear native Christians. 
goodbye. At longest, it is only till he come. We rejoice that we are made partakers of the sufferings of Christ, that when his glory shall be revealed, we may rejoice also with exceeding joy. Helen Pete added to the letter, Our Father is with us, and we go to him, and trust to see you all before his face, to be forever together with him. On August 30th, 1900, Willie and Helen Pete, their two daughters, and the two women with them were martyred. Throughout China, 188 missionaries and missionary children were killed during the Boxer Rebellion. Of these, 159 lived in the Shanxi province. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. We are here today because of those who have paid a great price. We are here this morning as a part of a great heritage, a great trail of blood in our Baptist history of men and women who have gone to the uttermost parts of the earth and they have said, I'll do whatever it takes so that souls in China and India and the Philippines and wherever I go that others may know the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet in this materialistic age and in this age where it's all about uh, being cool and having the coolest website and, and doing a little bit of doctoring and a little bit of maybe ministry and having a little bit of my way and a little bit of God's way, the world is dying and going to hell until we have some young people Yes, even some single women who will say, look at, I may or may not get married, but one thing is certain, I will be a part of the harvest of Jesus Christ. Amen. Training laborers for the harvest. It is my prayer that every single one of you will be with your whole being a laborer, bringing the harvest of Jesus Christ so that men and women and boys and girls will be saved. But what if it's dangerous to go to Dubai? What if it's dangerous to go to Indonesia? One of our single women graduates is there right now. The most Muslim-populated country in the world. A red-headed girl walking the streets today, soul-winning, telling people about Jesus Christ. But what if she's persecuted? She knows the way of her Savior. She knows her Savior. And she knew her Savior's greatest prayer request. And she said, I'll be a part of the answer. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Training labors for the harvest. Oh, but look, okay, go. Go to West Coast, do kind of the one-year Bible, then be a doctor. You know, maybe be an accountant. First get a nursing degree, so then you have a fallback position. What about having a faith-forward position? May God have his will and way in your life. May you be the answer to the prayer of Jesus Christ for labors for the harvest.